Now you would think after such a good song service and after such a heartfelt prayer that this would be a good time for me to turn to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians and talk to you about the resurrection. That would certainly be a capstone. But the spirit is not there for me. As a matter of fact, I, I, want, I feel like I need to say something before I get into what I'd like to talk to you about. It. Um, this is probably going to be the most practical sermon I've ever preached here at Bethel, uh, most one in regard to our duty and responsibility to the Lord. And I want you to know that I'm not trying to single anyone out or that I see that this is a great need and that the church here at McMahon is in need of some uh, teaching of that respect. That's not the case at all. Um, Y'all are doing wonderful. The Lord is blessing you abundantly. I love being a part of your fellowship. I look forward to Second Sunday and to be with all of you. Y'all are among my most dearest friends in life. And uh, even if I did see something that might need to be corrected, I don't think it's not my nature to get up and try to correct that from a sermon. I don't believe that's my, my responsibility here, but I would probably go to your pastor or Brother Philip, one of your ministers, and if I felt even if I would even do that much. So I want you all to understand that. But this is where I'm at in my studies. And I try to uh, change the Lord's mind in, in this and get something else, and I kept going back to it. My studies have been in the book of Revelation the past few months. After 38 years of being ordained in the ministry, I, I feel some degree of confidence now to get into the book of Revelation. And uh, I could, that could change at any time. But I have felt uh, uh, a desire within my heart to understand more than I have what is being taught in this book. It's just as much part of the Bible as any other book. And it is the revelation of Jesus Christ to the churches. Therefore, that's very important and worthy to understand. A lot of symbolism. But I keep going back to what it is, what John said. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how the Spirit of God instructed John to write it. John is not the revelator. Christ is the revelator. It is not the revelation of St. John the Divine. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that revelation is toward the churches, mm -hmm. specifically toward the seven churches of Asia, in that I believe that all the prophecies in Revelation is to those seven churches, but it is also, as we would read in the first chapter, that it's to all who read it. And there is a blessing pronounced to anyone no matter what age they live in, that they are blessed in reading this book. They're blessed in understanding it and blessed in keeping it. That's to us. That's for us. Revelation is, in that, it is written for us, and in that respect, it's written to us. Now, growing up in the church, and I have heard uh, preaching over the years, in my youth about the seven churches of Asia, 
and the letters that Christ, the revelator, <coughs> gave to John the apostle on the island of Patmos, a message to each of those churches, and that message was addressed to the angel of the church that I believe is the pastor, the ministers of the church there. And I have heard it preached that these reflect dispensations of time or uh, periods in the history of the Christian church. You can read in Gill's commentary. He's very strong about that. Other commentaries have. But I do not see it that way. I, I see it, first of all, it's letters to seven churches. Those churches existed. The Lord is the head of each one of those churches. And he had a message for those churches in that what they were doing right and some that they were doing wrong. And that he uh, expressed what those things are and told them what they needed to do about it and that the blessing they would get if they overcame these areas of concern. They existed at that time. They were real problems, real things going on. But also, we're blessed if we read it. And we're blessed if we keep it. And so as I've read these seven letters that I see, these are things that can happen to any church in any age, both good and bad. These are probable things, things that we, that we are yet dwelling in these bodies of clay, that we are prone to sin and error. Yes, we have the Spirit of God within us that is pure, that doth not commit sin, but yet we are in a fleshly body that does commit sin. And so we are capable of doing what is wrong in the sight of God and even as a church body. And these are things that we can read and that we can learn to avoid and learn to try the good things to adopt. One thing that it has helped me as I've tried to study this is if, say, I'm reading the letter to the church at Ephesus. And I read that to myself. And I read it to myself as if I am a member of the church at Ephesus. And what would my reaction be if the Lord wrote a letter to the church at Lavernia? I, as the pastor of that church, he would write to the angel of the church at Lavernia, I would be very interested in what he had to say. I would be very interested in what we were doing wrong, more so than what we're doing right. I want to know, are we doing something wrong? If we are, what is it, and what do we need to do about it? I'm a member of the Church of Thyatira. I read that letter. How is that affecting me? It is interesting. I've kind of played with this. If uh, you believe that Revelation was written later on, it's somewhat likely that when he started off with the church at Ephesus to the angel of the church of Ephesus, that might have very well been the Apostle John. 
Not saying it is, but it's a good possibility because history says that he pastored that church and that's where he died in Ephesus. Don't know. He didn't have to put that letter in the mail. It was written right to him. But today, I'm in the third chapter and to the letter at the church at Sardis. Before we read it, let's get some background information. When it says the seven churches of Asia, it's not the Asia that we know today. It's not the continent of Asia. This was a region in the land we now know as Turkey, a small region on the west side, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And there were seven cities. These are the churches in question. They all existed. Sardis was a church, was a town. We do not know the beginning of the church. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible except here that I know of. Ephesus, yes, we know. Paul wrote a letter to them. We read about the first time Paul went to Ephesus. But we don't read about Sardis anywhere except here. What I do know about Sardis is that it was constituted, the city, many years before this. It was conquered by Alexander the Great. Later on, the Romans took over. At this time, the Romans were in charge. They were the... Uh, the main force, the government there in Sardis, shortly before this letter was written, a vast quantity of gold was discovered and Sardis became a very wealthy and prosperous city. A mint was established and they made gold coins, many of whom exist today. There was a synagogue of the Jews at, at Sardis. And the city lasted until 1401 when it was conquered by the Turks and the city was pretty much destroyed and it was abandoned and no one lives there to this day. In the latter 1800s, the uh, archaeologist team came out and uncovered the ruins of Sardis and it is now a very popular tourist destination <clears throat> for history buffs to come and see the ruins, many of whom are in pretty good shape, but nobody lives there. The best thing about the city of Sardis is that there was a Christian church in Sardis. The best thing to know about Sardis, there was a body of believers there. There was a church, the church at Sardis. Christ dictates a letter to the apostle John. We read about it in chapter 3, verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. You remember at Sardis. This letter comes. It's being read to you. It's by the Lord himself. This is not some other person giving a, an opinion about your church. 
excuse me, the Lord's church that you're a member of. It's not what someone thinks. It's what the Lord says. I've got the seven spirits. All spirit, all truth flows from me. I've got the seven stars in my hand. Those are the pastors. They're in my hand. I control them. They work for me. I am their Lord. I know you. And I know that you have a name. That's a reputation. A good name is rather to be had than rubies. That means a good reputation. You have a reputation that you are alive, that you're lively. You've had good meetings there. You've had folks come and join. People say, you go there. You have, you have a good time at Sardis. They've had some good, good moments, good meetings. It's good spirit. You've got that reputation that you're alive, but I'm sorry, you're dead. Oh, man. Man. What do you do? What do you do when you get that? What happens? What, what, what can you do? Death is final, right? A dead church is, is a church with no spirit. The Lord isn't there. What are they, what are, what are they doing? They're just, are they going for the formalities? Are they just playing at church? Dead church. Well, people say you're alive, but you're not. Time to disband, shut the door, lock the door, sell the building. What do you do? Is there any hope? You know, this, is, this gets a little personal with me. The first church that I ever served, was Sardis Primitive Baptist Church in Combs, Texas, down in the Rio Grande Valley. I went there for two years before I was ordained. One week after my ordination, that church called me for pastor. And I went down there for five years. For seven years, I drove 287 miles one way to get down there. When I first started going to Sardis Church, they had about 15 members. Two years of hearing Brother Dave preach, they were down to four. That's right. Down to four members. But I hear, I hear, you know, them talking and other folks talking. Some of y'all know this church. Some of y'all have history there. You've had family come out of it. That church was a member with Bethel of the Southwest Texas Association. I've read uh, articles about meetings held down there. Elder S.N. Redford was pastor for some time. And I hear them talk when I was down there and trying to pastor and preach to them, and they tell me about the meetings that they had. One time, close to 100 members. We're down to four. I was young. I, 
I didn't know enough to be depressed about it. I had optimism. I tried to encourage them. And I did what I could. I don't know if it was any good at all. But I know this. I start talking about Sardis Church, and I get to crying because I love those people. They're so sweet. Uh, just the things that they did to help me. That church is gone. I don't, I don't even know if the building's still there. That's, that's a great piece of my heart that church and they live in my memory and it doesn't take much for me to get emotional about it and I'm not much of a crier but that'll get me going they, they call me come on down Saturday night spend the night with us we go down to brother Ramsey's house and all those great Mexican restaurants down there and we'd always go to Bonanza Steakhouse <laughs> Why? We could have, no, we're going to Bonanza. He thought that was the cat's meow. Man. And he'd buy me dinner, but I had to pay for it. And I paid for it by listening to him gripe all night. He was the crusty old deacon. He was the most depressing brother you'd ever be around. And the funny thing is, his brothers were all hilarious. They were funny. But Brother Merle didn't get a bit of it. Just, no oh, gloom and doom. And by the time he was done, you just crawl into bed. And then on Sunday morning, wake up, Brother Dave, we're going to church. We get up there. And it'd be about five or six of us trying to sing. And it sounded bad. Wouldn't like today. But I felt the Lord with us. And I'd get up there and try to do the best, which wasn't any good. And by the time I was done, Brother Merle was weeping in joy. And when he died, it just never was the same. Uh, it broke my heart. When that brother died. I never had a death like that. Y'all know, a lot of y'all knew Brother Merle. And uh, I could fill the hour with, with stories. Stories. A ask me about the Chihuahua at lunch. You'll, you'll be glad you did. All right. I think, I think about Sardis church down in the valley when I read Revelation 3. Because they had a name, they had a reputation of being a lively church. At one time, that was a place to go, but you know, the agriculture just changed down there. 
all the family farms just were consolidated into larger farms. And a man with a tractor and a combine could do what all these other family farms used to do, and that changed the dynamic of the economy. And two, they probably did some things as a church as far as discipline, but we won't get into that. The problem is, that's not problem. I, I think one of, the, one of their pastors ran the place kind of like a dictator, just, just between me and you. That's kind of the, well, no, it, it, it is true. And it hurt them, and it almost doomed them. Now we get to Sardis and Asia. We're not told what happened. We can opine, we can think, we can come up with something, maybe the prosperity, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say. But it did say they're dead. But it doesn't end there. See, because, my beloved friends, when there's God, there's hope. When there's life, there's hope. And when there's God, there's life. God is all about bringing the dead to life. If you don't know, the day of the resurrection, you'll find out because it'll happen to you. To them, to Christ, death is just sleep. And he'll wake us out of sleep. There is hope for a dead church because a dead church is still a church. That's what he said to the church at Sardis. We say well, it's dead, it's not a church. The Lord said the church at Sardis. That's what he said to the angel of the church at Sardis. It was reckoned among the seven churches of Asia. It's still a church. And there's still hope for it. And this has been encouraging to me. Because as we go on in time and see, and see the abundance of, of trouble in the world and iniquity abounding and the love of many waxing cold, and as we see our churches decline, which we are, it is not time to turn it in, to quit. It is time to read Revelation 3. And what did the Lord tell them to do? And may God give us the strength to do what he said. Because what did he say? Verse 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. And hold fast and repent. If therefore shalt not, thou shalt not watch. I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names. Even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh 
the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. My friends, let us have an ear. And if we have an ear, let us hear what the Spirit is saying. What the Spirit is saying to Sardis, as directed by the Lord himself. What we are to do if we find ourselves in calamity as a church. Strengthen the things which remain. That are, which are ready to die. They will die if you don't strengthen those things. And I think those things that he mentioned chiefly is the members that are there that he says have not defiled their garments. That means, uh, it tells me there's some that have defiled their garments. And that could mean a lot of things. It could mean some moral issue, some sin of the flesh. You can, there's an interesting verse in Jude that talks about hating the garment spotted by the flesh. tells me what you think, you know, what you do can be reflected outwardly and publicly. What's in your heart will show outwardly in the manner that you live, that reflected the garment. Some, some have walked unworthily. Some have gone into lasciviousness or or they have gone into lust. And it shows in the manner that they live. That is true. That is very true. I knew a minister one time that had a reputation for being a good man. But in the community, he had a terrible reputation where he lived from the profane language that that man said in the community but yet when you saw him in church, it was a different story. But it was known, and it came to pass. It came to light. Oh, that's scary to me. That terrifies me. It makes me think, Brother Dave, you better, you better straighten up. And you need to walk worthy. Not just any day, but every day of the week. Because how I live will reflect upon my worship and in my spirit in the house of God. And so thus we look upon as ministers and pastors those among the flock that, that, that are trying and we strengthen them. He wrote this to the pastor of the church at Sardis and he tells that pastor, you strengthen those things. You help those people. That's us. Brother Sonny, Brother Philip, Brother Dave, that's us. Bye-bye degree to all of us. All of us strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen one another. That's, that's our, our duty toward each other. To love one another. To help one another. To pray for each other. To comfort one another. To be a friend in need. To be one there who, who is in trouble and lift them up 
by our love and our prayers and our service toward them. Amen. Amen. That's to every member of the church. But it is. I, I, I do believe that it behooves the ministry of the church. You can be a blessing to the flock of God and strengthening them because what we are taught he said, feed the flock of God, which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer. Strength is derived from the food that you eat. And the better the food, the better the nutrition, the more strength that we gain from it. And so if we, as, as ministers, would pour ourselves into our calling, I believe that it would be well received amongst the congregation and that the church will be blessed all together. Because I'm going to say this, there's no excuse for bad preaching. I believe that wholeheartedly. Somebody gets up there and they say, well, I haven't studied. Well, what are you doing up there? Get somebody up there that has studied. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed because you are ashamed. Study that shows thyself approved unto God, a workman, you know, uh, that needeth not to be ashamed. Right? Dividing the word of truth and all that. If you don't study, you ought to be ashamed. Somebody say, well, I'm scattered. Well, why are you scattered? Well, sometimes I'm scattered. I know why I'm scattered. I didn't put enough into it. I'm not saying that to everybody. I may be scattered. Y'all may not think so. I don't know. doesn't matter. I think I'm scattered. Usually it means I haven't meditated enough. I haven't thought about it. But there's no excuse for bad preaching. Why? Why? You've got a calling from God. That came directly from God. You've got the Word of God. You've got the Bible, the inerrant Word of God. You've got great source material, the best ever. And you've got the power of the Holy Spirit to give you that ability. And you didn't preach good. What happened? What happened? I'm blaming you. Sorry. I'm blaming me. I'm blaming me. Let me tell you a story. The worst sermon I've ever preached, and I've preached a lot of bad ones. Amen and amen. I'll amen that one. Y'all are too nice. But amen. I have the worst sermon I've ever preached was at Muleshoe Primitive Baptist Church at a fifth Sunday meeting in front of 150 people. And I made a terrible, terrible job. And I, oh, I don't even, why am I going there? It's terrible. It's terrible. I cried myself to sleep that night. It was one of those times where the brother that followed me had all kinds of liberty. And I remember I went to the next day and to Brother Morris. I may have told you all this story, but I'm telling it again. I went to the next day to Brother Allen's house, and on his coffee table was a banner of love with Bill Walden looking right at me in shame, looking at me. And in the, 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 the headline, the article, Study to Show Thyself Approved. I was that small. And I told Bill, I said, you yelled at me from 500 miles away. He goes, well, 
I guess you needed it. <laughs> you know why I failed that night at Muleshoe? I had not studied a lick. And I thought I could get up there and put it on automatic pilot. Doesn't work. I thought I could wing it. Doesn't work. Study, 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 study. And from then on, when I told Brother Bill that, from then on, every time he saw me, are you studying? <laughs> what are you studying? Why are you studying that? Brother Dave, keep studying. Are you studying? Until the day he left this world. He's going to ask me that in heaven. Are you still studying? <laughs> Amen. See, I turn over here. I turn over here. The Second Timothy chapter one, Paul's speaking to this young minister, and he says uh, in chapter one, verse six, "Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind." All right. You know all that's in context? All that's talking about the same thing? Young preacher, stir up the gift. God didn't give you the spirit of fear. God gave you power. God gave you the love to do it. God gave you a sound mind to comprehend it. You stir it up. How do you stir it up? You study. You meditate. You think. You pray. You go to God. You talk about the scriptures. You, you hard shell. You fellowship. Because y'all deserve, you don't deserve leftovers. You don't deserve TV dinners called the sermon. If I can't do what God has called me to do, then why am I doing it? You stir up the gift of God. He said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor be his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's your job. Bring it to light. God gives you the ability. It's his gospel. It's his calling. It's his church. It's his sheep, of which you are a sheep as well. Therefore, therefore, you need preaching too. We all need good preaching. I feel better when the Lord blesses us in service. I feel more ready to go back out there in the world and fight the good fight of faith. I am encouraged. I know it's not in vain in the Lord. And I know God is in control no matter how much iniquity is abounding. My love is not going to wax cold. God help me. God help us all. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our zeal. May this be the most important thing in our life. This is just as, as good as it was a hundred years ago. It ought to be better because 
the further you go, the better it gets. He says, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Paul says it's not a sideline. It's not something I do in my spare time. This is not just kind of down the list of priorities. What are you, what are you Paul? I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm an apostle. Why do you say that? Because God called me to it. What are you? I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm a primitive Baptist. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I want to know more about him. Lord, bless us. If we're dead, which could very well be the case, it can happen to Lavernia. It can happen to Bethel. At any time. And if it does, may we remember, strengthen the things that remain which are ready to die. You strengthen yourself first. Gather yourself up. Gather up the loins of your mind. Put your hand on the plow. Look at the fields that are white of the harvest. Look at the opportunities that we have. Remember the days when we once enjoyed Holy Day. Remember the time that God has blessed us. Remember when we first saw the Lord and how precious that was and that first love experience. Go back to that. Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Lord, renew a, 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 new, a new spirit in me. Wash me with hyssop. And I'll be clean. Set my feet upon a rock. Put a new song in my mouth. Establish my going. That I go toward thee. And not away. And lead others astray. Ah, may that be. uh, The prayer of every member. In the old Baptist church. May it be my prayer. And may it be your prayer. And though I'm not saying. uh, Y'all are lively. Things are good here. Don't let that go to your head. Don't be presumptuous about that. Because like I said, oh, we can get get caught up in that. I'm not saying you are, but I'm saying you can be. You can get prideful. And my friends, that's the last thing because pride goeth before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Ah, the Lord, Lord hates Six things the Lord hates. Seventh is abomination. Number one, a proud look. A proud look. Lord, save me from myself. Save me from pride. Save me from being arrogant. Make me humble. Make me understand. Uh, When I first saw the beauty of the gospel, I loved the Lord, and I loved the Lord's people. And I strove to get as much as I can. Oh, Father, will you bless me? To come back to that. That's strengthening the things that remain. That remains. That remains in you my beloved friends. I I think there's folks out there. That have left the truth. They've left the church. They've uh, strayed. I think sometimes. Maybe in the dead of night. Maybe on their pillow. A thought comes to them. And they mourn. I do believe that their souls are in mourning. (coughs) Because they're estranged from their husbands. 
and from their brothers and sisters. I don't want to be there. And I wish those that are there would come back. Strengthen the things that remain, that are, that are ready, that are ready to die. In the fourth chapter of this same book, we read about where we are today, what Paul's telling Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. That's serious stuff, isn't it? All right. That's a good, what an introduction. You better listen to what he says next. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now, what happens then? What happens? Uh, we tried to preach the word. We've tried to preach the truth. We're trying to be instant, in season, out of season. We've done these things, and yet some are turning away. What do we do? What do we do? Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. But they're turning away. What do I do? Preach the word. Change it up? We need to change it up? No. I've been down that road. It don't work. I left the old Baptist in a sense. And I'll tell you why I did. I saw, I saw people turning away. And I thought, we need to do something to keep this from happening. And you know what I found out? Number one, I'm not the Lord. Number two, I don't know, I don't know a thing. And number three, where can we go? What do we need to do? What do we need to change? The doctrine? The practice? It's the word of God. And then I found out this. You start changing things up, it might attract some people, but you've got to keep changing to keep them there. I was talking to a, a, a man who was a member of a mega church in San Antonio. I said, man, how do you get so many folks to come up there? I said, oh, well, we just give them what they want. I said, okay, how do you keep them? Well, uh, we change it up. <laughs> they get tired of it, we change it, we change it. We, we gotta, yeah, I said, how often do you change it? Oh, every six months. Doesn't sound like the old paths to me. Doesn't sound like that. That's the word. What are you? What are you preaching? Some something else. It's not the word. Well, my friends, I, I'm, I'm going to have to tell you this. <clears throat> After trying all that and failing, I came back to the old line, and I am the most staunch conservative here. Don't y'all dare try anything, because I'm not going down there again. I want to stick with what works, because God made it, and I want to preach what He says to preach, and I don't want. Any other Bible but King James. I don't want any other doctrine but the doctrines of grace. 
I don't want any other singing, but with the instrument that God placed within us, that being the heart, I, 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 I just want, I want to love one another in a pure heart, fervently. I want to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints and uh, others are turning away. Well, where are they going? You know what's out there? You want to know how the Lord describes life out of the church? Outer darkness, wailing and gnashing of teeth. I love that song, Brother Philip Led. He talked about it. Angry spike, noisy crowd. Maddening, insanity, confusion, lies. This is true. This is real. This is such a life. The Lord had to put something before it, and he calls it the abundant life. He says, they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned to the fables. But watch, here we go, verse 5, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Don't make half proof, make full proof. So here's what I say. We come to church, I want to hear nothing but the truth, right? I want to hear the Bible preached. I want to learn more about Christ. I'm going to pray to that end. I want that to be the case. I want that brother to preach like he's never preached before. I want him to preach the best sermon he's ever preached. And then I want that to keep happening every Sunday. Aim high, friends. Is God able? Sure he is. I want my church life to keep getting better and better the longer I'm in the church. I want to be, I want to be example to the young folks. I want to be a comfort to everybody. And I want to, to be in fellowship with the greatest people on earth. And I want the spirit of God to be so thick you can cut it with a knife. And I, go, I want to say, at the end of the day, we have walked with God today. I want to say in the beginning, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I want to say it was good to be in the house of the Lord. And my beloved friends, let me just go back and just read this, and then I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll be done. Let's go back to Revelation. Be watchful, verse 2. Be watchful. Notice what's happening. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. Hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Amen. I like that. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith 
unto the churches. May God give us that ear. And may God give us that drive and initiative. God bless you. Love you. I preach, I really mean this in, in love to all of you. And, and, and I'm preaching this mainly to me because I know I can do better. And thank you again for allowing me to be with you. Y'all help me to do better in, in, in my walk before the Lord. God bless you all. Sing a hymn uh, and open the, the doors of the church.